بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to Dean Machine Podcast uh, Who is Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam um, So before we go into this inshallah hope everyone's well and hope alhamdulillah we've faced a beautiful month Ramadan inshallah we'll meet it again Sadly, it's coming to an end soon, and um, I hope everyone's, uh, you know, took this advantage to, mm. especially with this lockdown, to actually look towards the, you know, a lot of ibadah, read upon mm. the Islam, look for that deen, and come a lot closer. But inshallah, uh, with this discussion about the Prophet we'd love to um, obviously express our information and our knowledge upon what we know about the Prophet onto the audience, and inshallah. You know, some positive comments and feedback from you as well. Uh, we have uh, brother Khalid and brother, a new brother, uh, Absa. Uh, Assalamualaikum. everyone. Assalamualaikum. Thanks for having me here. Glad to be here. You're welcome. Um, so, you want to get right, right into it or how you want to go about it? Um, with, if... If when we're talking about um, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, one of the things that we find is uh, in the past the scholars they don't really go into his life straight away. What they do is they go through his lineage first, so then that gives them an understanding of where he come from, and um, that also gives us a blueprint of how we would react to in, in, in his lifestyle as well. And it will give us a better understanding. Um, so um, if you'd like me to start, and I'll just, say, um, just go straight through the lineage of Rasulullah Yeah, go through it, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. So obviously we know that um, our um, Rasulullah's great-great-grandfather um, you know, great, 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 great grandfather was Ibrahim alayhi salam. So when um, Ibrahim alayhi salam had uh, married um, Hajar uh, alayhi salam, uh, they were traveling um, to go to Mecca at the time. And what took place was when uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam was ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that. Uh, you have to leave your 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 family, i.e. Ismail, which was his son, and his wife, Hajar. So what happened was, uh, Hajar, you can imagine, she didn't quite understand why is Ibrahim leaving her in the middle of nowhere. And what took place was, Hajar asked Ibrahim that, is this a command from Allah SWT? And obviously, we need to understand that Hajar she was a believing woman. Uh, she was pious. So Ibrahim said, yes, it is um, It is a command from Allah. So obviously, she accepted it. Shows her um, piety. And so what took place was, now Ibrahim had given her some food stuff. For Ismail, Ismail was a baby at the time, and obviously we know this famous story about you know Safa al Marwa. So oh, yeah. yeah, so you know that one. Yeah, so we should go to Safa to find some kind of sustenance 
and then she go to yeah she go to uh, Al Marwa, and she couldn't find. But then she'll see underneath the feet of Ismail alayhi salam that something was going on. Basically, and she found that there was water, right? And when she found that there was water, obviously we know that was that was a Zamzam water, yeah. So Zamzam. Now you don't understand is the word like you know when we say like Zamzam water, right? When we say Zamzam, you know. Ibrahim salam, his language was Aramaic, it wasn't Arabic. So for them, when they say Zamzam, it was like basically stop, stop, yeah, because there's so much water coming out, yeah, that's why it's called Zamzam. And it said Zamzam, like stop. Well, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so basically, the word, it, 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 you know, when you translate something to English, the, it, it weakens the translation. Um, right. But the thing is, like, it was basically Hajar Salam saying that, you know, just, just, you know, calm the water down. So that's why it's called Zamzam, because so much of it. Anyways, what uh, what happened was, now there were a tribe, right, who were walking in the desert. Now, this is on the way, um, uh, on the way to Mecca. And they found that it was a tribe called Jorhum. They are a tribe from Yemen. So if you give a bit of context regarding this, um, for those that don't know, um, you know the Quranic, the Quranic chapter, um, uh, chapter um, Saba, Surah uh, Saba. So basically Allah Taala says a story in, in the Quran in regards to the people of Saba where it, there, there was the first dam that ever created in this world, right? And there was so much sustenance that it was narrated by other people stating that a lady will come out of her house and, you know, she'll have a basket and she'll just walk and then the basket will be full of fruit. So much sustenance there were, so much blessings there were. But what the story illustrates is the fact that the people there uh, even though they had an easy life, they wanted, it's weird because they used to, they used to make du'as like, oh, um, please Allah, uh, make it hard for us. Because, you know, they wanted, just to, for some odd reason, they, they were they're very ungrateful. Um, and as in some, we are ungrateful people. Um, and also the fact that uh, when they're making du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were, caught, they were saying that make it hard for us, you know, because everything's too easy for them. So, um, so, uh, so, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, had made it hard for them and he broke the dam. So what happened was the fruits wasn't growing, nothing was growing. It was so difficult to live. Uh, it wasn't, you know, in some narrations, people would say it was like paradise in, um, in, in, on, on the dunya. But obviously when the dam broke, all these Arabs, right, here from Yemen at the time, the Saba was in Yemen, they started dispersing out everywhere. So some went to Iraq, some went to Syria, some went to Palestine, some went to Jordan, some went to Hijaz, some went to Najd. So this is where the Arab people came from. They came from there, right? So when, uh, so the reason why I'm saying this is because now, now you have a context of the fact that where Ibrahim came from, yeah? Because you can tell when migrations take place, yeah, the languages differ, language even like for a, even within a country, there's different types of dialect within the country, even if it's the same language. You can imagine 
dialects keep changing and changing, changing into another language. So one of the languages that arose from there in Iraq was Aramaic and Ibrahim spoke Aramaic. Anyways, back to the point in regarding Zamzam. So now, the, now they're saying Zamzam means calming down and stop it. Jorhum came, now Jorhum was a tribe from Yemen. Now Jorhum, now they were, they were basically warriors. They were Arabs, right? but they were warriors. So when they looked up in the sky, they see um, birds flying around. And when they see birds flying around in a particular area in, in the desert, it shows a form of life. So Jorham, those tribesmen, they had a question with an amazing answer, amazing question, sorry. Yeah. So did um, Jorham um, try... Sorry? So was the question, can we settle in this place? I believe she yes, asked. Yes, yes, yes. Or they are. That's correct, yes. You're right there. So she, they were saying, can we settle in this place? So Hajar al-Islam, she was very clever. And she said that, um, you know, we, she was starting to negotiate with them, saying that this, this Zamzam water is ours. This is ours. So obviously, they, then they agreed. So now you can imagine when, obviously, as humans, we are affected by surroundings and we are affected by the people we are surrounded by. So when Ismail was growing up, he's growing up with Arabs, you see. So now he picked up the language, yeah? Mm. And when he picked up the language, he married uh, one, of the, uh, one of the Arabs from, the, from their tribe, from the Jorhum tribe. And what happened was now they then, after obviously they had children, so Ibrahim Salam came back and with Ibrahim Salam and Ismail Salam, they then obviously read all the story of they built the Kaaba Sharif. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they built the Kaaba, what happened was um, the Jorham tribe, remember the Jorham tribe we were talking about, they were, uh, they were controlling the whole of the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. But the religious point of view, I, you know, the Kaaba, and the pilgrimage that was taking place. That was all responsibility with the Ismail's um, descendants, yeah? So Ismail's descendants had control over the religious side, yeah? And the political side were controlled by Jorhum. Now Jorhum, over time, they became very tyrannical. They became very, you know, dictatorship. And um, they had then, uh, were, then they had a war, like a battle kind of thing with uh, Huza. Now, when Huza took over, right, at that time, over time, the Ismail descendant had, uh, like, populated the area, right? And when they had populated the area, um, now the power had shifted to one of Ismail's descendants, you see? Mm. So when the Ismail descendant had been, um, now they got control of the political and also the religious, yeah? So what happened is now you have... Uh, uh, now, now you, now you have uh, one of Ismail's descendants taking care of Ismail's descendants taking care of the political and also the religious type. Now, when we go to our our Rasulullah's great grandfather, his name was um, uh, Amr, right? Amr ibn uh, Abdul Manaf, yeah. And now we can see that um, he was he was uh, progenitor. I can't even say the uh, uh, word. Progenitor, is the progenitor or progenitor? <laughs> progenitor of uh, uh, Banu Hashim, right? And the reason why they call it the Banu Hashim because Amr, uh, his uh, great grandfather, 
um, he was in charge of the pilgrims in terms of giving them food supplies, food stuff. So he would give them soup because traditionally they would give them soup. So what he did was he had an idea of crushing bread, like crushing bread and putting it to the soup, you know, so it gives that extra kick. So they said that um, uh, Amr then uh, said that he's doing ha uh, Hashim. In Arabic, when crushing uh, food stuff or crushing bread, it's called Hashim. So that's why now they call him Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf. Yeah. So his nickname was Hashim. Hashim, yeah. yeah. But then that stayed. So that's when the name Banu Hashim came about. And this is the clan. Now we see that this is the clan, that this is the tribe um, of, uh, sorry, this is the clan of Rasulullah, Banu Hashim, right? Mm -hmm. So now we can see, now you can see we're getting closer. So now you have um, the uh, Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf's uh, son, which is called Abdul Mutalib. Now Hashim, okay. yeah. So Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf, he had actually married um, Salma bin Amr, right? Salma bin Amr, she was, uh, uh, she's, uh, they, they, they got married and then the, um, uh, Hashim had been into Palestine at the time and he got married there, sorry. Then he had a son and they called him Sheba. Okay. Oh, Abdul yeah. Muttalib wasn't his actual first name. He wasn't his first name. He was actually called Sheba. Okay. Oh. So then Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf, he had passed away. And what happened was uh, then obviously uh, their uncle. Uh, was uh, I think it was called Mutalib. Yeah, the uncle was called Mutalib. He then had, uh, uh, sorry, he then had uh, gone to long for his nephew, right? So his nephew, obviously, we know is Abdul Mutalib. Uh, but at the time, it's called Sheba. And you know why they call Sheba? Sheba means old, meaning like he's very old. And the reason why his parents call, uh, his, his mother called him, uh, his parents called him Sheba, is because when he was born, he had a bit of like gray hair. So he looked a bit older, so they called him Sheba. Anyways, when his uncle came to the mother's house and uh, said to him that, look, he's from a great tribe called the Banu Hashim, he has to assume responsibility. And at the end, he convinced them to give, give the son of Hashim Ibn Abdul Manaf, the founder of Banu Hashim tribe. So, uh, Banu Hashim clan, sorry. I keep confusing with the tribe and clan. So it's clan. So Banashim clan. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So then Abdul. So then what happened was uh, when when uh, his uncle Mutalib had then went into Mecca. Now you understand. Back in the day, when you used to have a, a, a new a, 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 like a new baby, right? And nobody knows who that baby is and who the mother is. They also they used to assume that that's a slave. Okay, like a worker for that, for the man who's holding the baby. They used to see, because back in the day, they used to um, have, they used to buy the babies early. So they used to grow them up here so they can be slaves of that household, right? So they so, really knew who they were. So nobody knew, no, nobody knew that who that was. Nobody knew that he, that the baby that Abdul, uh, uh, that baby that Mutalib is carrying right now, is actually Hashim bin Abdul Manaf, the founder of, of Banu Hashim clan. Yeah, it's because when he entered there, they yeah, didn't they so so people. they gave him a name. So they gave yeah. him a name. So you know that name is so uh, in Arabic we say Kunya. Yeah, Kunya is basically oh. like a nickname. Yeah, 
So yeah. they said like, okay, you know what? They see the baby, so they call him Abdul Muttalib. Yeah, the slave of Muttalib, because at the time his uncle Muttalib was carrying him. Yeah, so the people around him in Mecca called him Abdul Muttalib, and that name stuck. Hence why it's called a Kunya, like a nickname. But, but his real name was Sheba, is that right? Yeah, his real Abdul name was Sheba, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, then obviously his name is now Abdul Muttalib, and now he's yeah. his father's side, and all the all them they know is Abdul Muttalib. So they don't really use the name Shaiba; they use Abdul Muttalib. Okay. Yes. So then Abdul Muttalib had married uh, Fatima bint Amr. Okay. And then they had a kid, uh, they had a son called Abdullah. Yeah. Now we're getting very close. Now Abdullah, he we do know Abdullah is the father of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, so and Abdullah, so the story behind him, okay, is you could take you know about one minute the story. Um, we're getting close to Muhammad. So now, Abdullah, um, what happened with him was he was one of the youngest of these sons, okay, of oh, Abdul Muttalib. So, um, Abdul Muttalib had made a deal with um, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually. He said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because at that time, you need to understand, if you have one son, you, you are known as weak. So he made a deal with Allah SWT. He was making dua to Allah SWT and said, please, Allah, give me 10, 10, uh, give me 10 sons and I will sacrifice one of them. What happened? He got 10 sons. Okay. Oh, now yeah. he got, yeah. So he got 10 sons and one of them was Abdullah. Now what happened was he asked to now sacrifice. Okay. So now he take no. So what he does was that you know um, I don't know how to say it. like basically back in the day they used to use that you know the bow and arrows, and whatever the arrow would fall on, that's where you'd pick. That this is where you pick, yeah. Right. So it's it's basically picked in random, yeah. And all the time the arrow would fall on Abdullah, yeah, next to him all the time. So they had to choose Abdullah. So Abdul Muttalib, his father, had then grabbed Abdullah. To sacrifice now, um, Abu. Uh, so what happened was his his families were saying, no, if you kill Abdullah right now, then it will become like a sunnah. Yeah. So the, the context I'm using sunnah right now is basically a thing that is traditional. Yeah. Like you, you like oh someone else did it. Like my father did it. I'm going to do the same thing. So basically following the footsteps of them. Yeah. So. The family said, if you kill your son right now, whoever has 10 sons, they have to kill one, they'll sacrifice one son each generation, right? We're already killing uh, our daughters. Uh, at that time in Jahaliya times where they were burying their daughters alive. So now this will become one of those things again as well. But obviously they didn't want that. So you know what they did? They went to a witch. And when they went to a witch, sorry, So just to recap, so, there was these arrows pointing towards Abdullah, and every time it happened, um, yeah. there was a dispute between the maternal side of the uh, both Abdullah. paternal and maternal. So they didn't really want to give Abdullah. no one, not no one, even the people in Mecca, no, no wanted it because they knew that. Because the interesting, Abdul Muttalib, yeah, he was the head, right? So if he was the head, because he, uh, he was head because he had control over Zamza water, okay, right. Because he's the, um, so he's the, uh, he had control over Zamzam water, and whoever has control over like Zamzam water, and, and also he was the head of the tribes of Banu Hashim, the clan of Banu Hashim as well. 
you know, he was known as authority. So when he, he, if he, when he was like uh, going to sacrifice Abdullah, then everybody else behind, uh, after he would follow, right? So that's what they didn't want that because, you know, you, you're killing, uh, you know, more people now. You know, you're already killing your daughters. And obviously, Abdul Muttalib, he couldn't uh, really go back on his word because no, he made because, a of love. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Even though they used to um, follow like some shirk and, you know, they have their own idols and stuff like that. They still had that ounce of thing where they still seen Allah as, as, as a God as well. Yeah, even though they did a lot of shirk in just a point in room. So they went to the witch. So the witch said, okay, uh, what you do is every time it falls on Abdullah, then you, 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 sacri- uh, you give 10, cal- 10 camels, okay? So again, they did the arrow thing again with Abdullah. So they put 10 camels on one side and Abdullah on one side. And each time we would pick Abdullah again and again and again, and up until it, had, it went up to 100 camels. And then oh. when it went up to 100 camels, the witch said that when it stops uh, and, it keeps, and then it goes to the camels, then sacrifice those camels. Um, you know. So anyway, so what happened was, now after 100 camels, it went to the camels, right? The arrow went to the camels. But everybody was happy, everything, but Abdul Muttalib, he said, no, let me try again. So he, you know, he double checked it. So, so he did it again and he went to the camels. So now Abdul Muttalib was actually given man. He was actually a generous man. So what he did was those 100 camels, he had obviously had slaughter and he gave it to the people to a point where the people were finished eating. There was so much food left, for, so much meat left for the animals to eat. Yeah. So now this is why uh, later on, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is told, he is told by the people that you are the son of the two sacrificed ones. Do you know why that is? No, no. Because his, his grandfather, his great, great, great grandfather, he was Ibrahim alayhi salam. Sorry, uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam, yeah? So what was Ibrahim alayhi salam ordered to do? To sacrifice you? Ismail alayhi salam. Yeah, yeah? So Ismail alayhi salam was obviously who? Obviously the grandfather, great, great grandfather, yeah? So then after um, him, who was it as well? Abdullah. Abdullah was about to get sacrificed as well. His That's father, yeah. yeah, his father, yeah. So right. Is- Ismail, one, one of the grandfather, and Abdullah is a father. Ultimately, that makes obviously Muhammad sallallahu is the son. So he's the son of the two sacrificed ones. Okay. So, um, See, this so is what they come, they say. We actually descendants from the sacrificed ones. Yeah. Obviously, Abdullah um, had married Amina, which is his mother. Right? Yeah. So this is, um, and I did a quick thing, um, because if I went into detail even more, I know we don't have too much time, but inshallah, in the future podcast, um, obviously we can go into more into detail in the lineage. Um, but I thought, you know, we go through the lineage, you know, briefly. So we went so long. Yeah. Another thing is, uh, just a quick one as well, sorry, um, regarding uh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know um, his name as well? So Muhammad, uh, his name is called, uh, is basically means the praiseworthy one, the one that you praise, mm. okay? Yeah. And it came from the root where, uh, obviously another word would be, and that's what I use in the Quran, uh, Ahmed, it also ah- means, Ahmed, yeah. Ahmed, it means praise, yeah? And Muhammad means, the praiseworthy one. So every time when we say 
Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We are praising him. Yeah, we are praising him and you know we are giving glad tidings and blessings upon our beloved Rasulullah. Right? So when when in a when I know this is for our listeners as well, when every time we hear Muhammad sallallahu in one seating, in one meeting, it is actually obligatory for us to say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the first first time we hear in the same meeting. But then after when you hear it again from the same person or in the same meeting, then it becomes recommended. Meaning when you say you get more, you get it's a rewardable act. If you don't say, then you're not sinful. The first time you hear it in a meeting, it is actually it's a obligatory. Yeah. yeah. So, thoughts laid out there. Yeah, thank you for that. Very rewarding. Steve, I, did, I, I, I didn't know about that Zamzam thing, about the stop, stop. Actually, quite interesting. Yeah. I, 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 obviously, I knew the grandfather was, well, the great, great, great father was, the, the lineage is from uh, Ibrahim and Sunab. I didn't know yeah. how like how direct it was. I didn't realize how. Um, oh, no, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like you know, you know, Mamagoro by to you know all that kind of stuff, and you know, like he knows, he knows, he knows stuff like that. It's like straight lineage, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously I, I skipped a few people. You know what I mean? I can't go every single. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it is kind of like straightforward if you think about it. Like. Um, you know, there's also like um uh, like the tree. You can see the family tree straight. You know, I mean, even if you put yeah. all the people, like all the people in between as well, you can really see it straightforward. You know, um, yeah, uh, it's and it's easy to find. You know? yeah. it's crazy, such a strong like what kind of background he has. Obviously, the type of leadership he has as well in terms of what kind of man he became. I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't say that it's a coincidence. The man he's become a leader. He became wasn't just because of his influences around the people he had around him as well. Like, do you know what I mean? The lineage obviously played a massive part. Mm. Like the fact that they were all leaders of something. Do you get it? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I mean, like, even his uncles. Look at his, his uncles after, after, after um, his father passed away. Uh, yeah. We went to Abu. Uh, was it Abu Talib? Mm. Uh, who looked after him, and even then he was head of Quraysh as well as you know, one of the heads of Quraysh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, again, like uh, uh, Quraysh is. Uh, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but like uh, Quraysh is a big tribe. Yeah, this is why I get confused yeah. with tribe and clan. So any mistakes I made, forgive me. Um, but um, Quraysh is basically a tribe. Yeah, you know, like you got like. Um, how do I explain now? Uh, it's like it's like it's like it's like UK and you got Birmingham, Wolverhampton. Yeah, yeah, basically like that. Yeah. Imagine a clan yeah, in Birmingham. Yeah? yeah, and obviously, yeah. So obviously now you got Croatia as a tribe. Now the Croatian tribe um, is uh, obviously um, they also came from Yemen. You see, yeah. A lot of people don't know this here. When they think about who are Arabs, they think about our Saudi Arabia. Not really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the Arabs came from uh, uh, from Yemen, yeah. And it's it's in actually it's actually it's in the Quran. Allah says in the Quran in in the, in, in in Surah um, um, Saba, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's in there to illustrating it where, where all these Arabs come from. So if you wanted to go to detail of Rasulullah where he, where he came from, Ismail's um, we um, those the, the descendants here obviously from Ismail from Ibrahim. If you want to go to detail even more through Ismail after Ismail with Adnan, right? Yeah. 
So, so basically, you know how us Muslims will say uh, that Rasulullah was the descendant of Ibrahim, was the descendant of Ismail, because we follow them because they are like they are obviously a Islamic figure, a prophet. But, um, but with the regards to um, like uh, you know the the tribes at the time, like the Quraysh tribes. They used to say we are the descendant of Adnan, and Adnan is actually the descendant of Ismail, direct um, um, uh, descendant. Yeah, so they'll say Adnan. You get it? Well, they all know. They all know. They all know that they're from Ismail. They all know, but they'll say at the time um, Adnan. Yeah, and obviously you can see like names were different as well. Like back in the day, they used to call within a Yathrib. You know, it wasn't called yeah, yeah, at the time, yeah. So, you know, th we can go through that later on in the podcast, inshallah. Um, yeah, so... Um, but um, just going into the fact that... So, we've talked about how we became or how we came about the Prophet mm -hmm. Let's talk about how he was before Prophethood. So, what kind of man he was before Prophethood. Um, mm. How right. did he... You know how how was he recognized to the people? Um, you know, did they respect him? Uh, was it just because he had respect from Abu Talib? Uh, he's a nephew of Abu Talib, or he had the backing of that? Um, and then the transition from that to obviously him become prophet. I just want to just go into you know what kind of person the Prophet was before prophethood mm -hmm. and even after prophethood. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely, I can answer help you with that one. So uh, Muhammad sallam, he proved to be he proved by his living example that he was the most truthful and honest person um, of his age. So when he was poor, when he was a poor orphan um, who had started trading, he started trading with his uncle. But in a very short time, um, his honest and fair dealings with the people became well known and respected. So every Makkan people, rich or poor, knew him as a title of as Sadiq. Meaning, mm. what does that mean? Anyone know? Most trustworthy. Means the truthful. So, mm. as Sadiq is the truthful. And mm. he also had another title as Al Amin, mm. meaning, meaning the trustworthy. So, mm. when Muhammad yeah. was yet a young man, the, it was a young man, so the Kaaba was rebuilt. Uh, so, a dispute between the tribes of the Meccan people. Um, took place and they wanted to know who should put the black stone in its place in the Kaaba which we mm. see in the or you can see in the corner of the Kaaba we still see it every time we go there if you see mm. it if you haven't been there you'll see it uh, inshallah one day you get to go and see it inshallah, and inshallah. inshallah. so this uh, this tribe these tribes were arguing and disputing amongst themselves and then they decided that the first one to enter the Kaaba the next morning would settle this dispute Mm. So who was the next person in the morning to enter? It was no other than Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi entered in the morning, and then people were really happy to see it was Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Why were they happy? Because of the type of person he already was given. The title. Remember the titles he was given. Yeah, most trustworthy. Yeah. Trust. That's that's right. The Al Amin and the As Sadiq, the mm. and truthful. So they all decided that they would use this cloth to put the black stone in its place, mm. and they held it at the right level, and then they put it in its position. So one of the chiefs of Quraysh were sitting and talking about him, 
and they said, um, they said, oh, Quraysh, you have not been able to find any plan to meet the calamity that has fallen upon you, Muhammad. Um, so Muhammad grew up from childhood in the presence. He was the most liked, the honest and faithful among you. Uh, now, when he has grown to maturity and has presented these things to you, you say he's a magician, a soothsayer and a poet and a madman. By Allah, I have heard his message. He is none of these things a new county has fallen upon you. So this is what they are saying, the chiefs of the Quraysh. Yeah, following so far? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the so prophet this is, after, sorry, this is just after he's become a prophet, isn't it? So um, that's what they're calling him after he became a prophet, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, a, a madman, a magician. But before that, yeah. he was more or less the most trusted and truthful one. And you, and you see it in the past as well, when you see the other uh, prophets, they were also called liars and magicians and soothsayers. But before then, they were known as a good, honest, decent man. But as soon as the revelation came, then people didn't want to accept this, obviously, because they thought it was a magician, yeah. mm. madman speaking. I, I just want to add on to that point as well. The people of the crush, obviously, uh, hardly touched upon it. They were uh, people of Jahil, uh, the worst of people, Western generation, in terms of they were doing the, the most worst gambling, cheating, uh, mm. killing people, fighting on the streets. They didn't care. They had no sense of honor, respect, or anything like that for the man. Um, and obviously the Prophet his attributes, uh, you know, have we just saying that he's the most trusted, a truthful person. Mm. Obviously today's day in life, we can say that as, you know, that's uh, that's quite common or normal. But at that time, it was, it was quite rare because uh, honestly, at that time, the Quraysh, they didn't care. They didn't care about what they lived for. They just literally lived by whatever they wanted. Uh, mm. It's basically survival of the fitness for them. Like, I want this, I will get it. I don't care how. I don't care if there's rules behind it. I will make sure I get it. Obviously, the Prophet ﷺ, how you said, he was the most trusted. He he settled his disputes uh, because of this character he had. And obviously, that's why a lot of people respected him. And you were saying this is the age of four years old. I mean, look at what kind of man he has, how much of a man he's become already at the age of four. Right. Do you get it? I mean, look, at, look at... Go on, yeah, carry on. And I was saying, yes, uh, you're right. And you see it. See it happening now in this day. What happened back then is still relevant to what's happening now. There's some dishonoring going around. There's mm. dishonesty. And you see people fighting, quarreling. And so how can we say whatever happened in the past is not relevant now? You can't mm. really. Can I mean, it, it's a very good question. Honestly, a lot of people forget the fact that, you know, we look at the Prophet as an example. Um, he's also Tulhasan as the best of all examples. Mm. Uh, for us to say that we can't look at the Prophet's life and live by the Prophet's life is honestly to me is a complete uh, what's the word man? It's offensive, it's disgusting the fact that how can you say that Allah's even telling you he's the best of all example and you're saying that his life, his time period can't fit with our time period mm. I mean do you understand what I'm trying to say here the fact that um, just because you know they were riding camels and we're riding cars now and mm. they they had pathways of which was like footprints and we have roads now it doesn't make it any different it, it might it might have a specific uh, uh a change in in what's the word now um means. i don't know advances means yeah the means might have changed but what it was the original thing of how we went about a social life 
how people went about their lives, it still has not changed because, let's be honest, adultery back then is adultery now still. It's yeah. not going to do it differently. It's the same yeah. thing. And in, if you see it today's age, look how open it is now. Yeah. It's become such a normal, a normality. It's become such a normal thing. And for you to say, obviously, the question back to, uh, we can't compare the Prophet's life to our life or their time to our time. Um, 100% you can. Uh, maybe you can't compare the technology, or you 100% can t- compare the people, 100%. And this is what we're trying to achieve, right, into understanding what the people are, like how people act, how they react. And the Prophet mm-hmm. showed us this because he destroyed the social norm. Um, you have to understand, at the time of the... Uh, the before the Prophet had taken over Mecca, yeah. Mecca, the Quraysh, they believed to stay within their own, would you say clans or their own little milieus? And it was the yeah. blacks to stay with the blacks, the slaves, the poor, the rich, the mm. whites, all that stuff. They chose to stay in their own milieus, their own little areas. But what did the Prophet do? Uh, when you received the Wahi revelation, became the Prophet, Allah commanded him, go out and show them Islam. And he destroyed the social norm and put everyone, all these mix, mix, uh, tri- uh, tribes, clans, uh, into one little, into roles, uh, one role settings. And it's like black, white, rich, poor, and to the people, it's like, what the hell? Do you know what I mean? They're like, wow, like this doesn't make sense to us. So this is what the Prophet mm-hmm. did. He achieved, he achieved this. Uh, he changed his social norm, and he didn't just do it by overnight thing. He did it in a specific way. And that's why we want to. I want to discuss about this. Like, how did the Prophet Sallam come about this? What did he do? How did he achieve these things? Mm. Definitely. I mean, I mean, like going back to what you were saying about how the Prophet Sallam was here to eradicate the, the blacks and the whites of differentiating the people, uh, whether it was racism, you can call it that. It was racism, and it's still existing now. You can see it, even though people are not uh, saying it as much now, but it still exists and. When you go to the mosque, you see people of different color skins doing prayer together. So that just tells you that Islam is here to eradicate that kind of racism. About the army, about the mountains, an example. Do you remember? Can you just give me oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, uh, uh, he asked, he basically went to Mount Stoffa and asked the people of Christ, oh, people of Christ. Would you believe me that there's an army behind this mountain? And they said, of course I would. Uh, we'll come fight for you. And he goes, okay, there is an army behind this mountain, but uh, take the shahada, believe in Allah SWT, that I am the Prophet, I am the final messenger of Prophet And then that, that trust of, of course we believe you, the most trustworthy, the most, most trusted person. Of course we're going to fight for you, battle for you, because mm. there's an army behind you, trust you, we believe in you. Mm. And then he turned around and said, look, we believe that is, he said, believe in that there's a God and I am the messenger then they turned around the, the, literally the, the, the mindset just completely switched and said you're a, you're a magician you're, you're, you speak to the God in the sky you're, you're a madman and it just switched mm. completely like that, that, that figure of like I trust you so much to what the hell you're crazy and would you ever trust a crazy man mm. you wouldn't and it's just, I, just, I just find it crazy how it just switched over mm. yeah I mean there's a lot of um, even when he was even when he was a child, when um, uh, when Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a baby, what the what the Arabs used to do is they used to send their send their kids out to the desert with um, with the Bedouins. Now Bedouins are basically like uh, 
let's just say desert gypsies, yeah? For those in the UK, yeah. everybody knows what a gypsy is, yeah? So imagine a desert gypsy, that's what the Bedouins were. So what the Bedouins used to do is, they, obviously they had families, and what they do is, they'll go to the city, which is Mecca at the time, and, and they'll, they'll take the kids, yeah? They'll take the kids, um, obviously the, the, family will, uh, the families will give the kids to the Bedouins, and the families and they'll take them to the deserts the reason why they did that is to make the baby or the child stronger and uh, and then bring them back more clean because they used to say that um, in the desert it's, it's pure there's no virus no nothing no plague no nothing so that's why they used to say you know what it was a tradition it was a norm to send their kids with uh, the bedouins in order to right. receive strong and healthy children so when they grow older they can be you know, warriors, you know, and big leaders and whatnot. So uh, the, heat the diseases and the bacteria, so the heat would destroy all this. Yeah, and um, they also thought that, uh, they also thought that, you know, it's a desert, you know, if you survive a desert as a child, then you obviously when you grow up, you're going to be more stronger, you know, it'll make you yeah. stronger. So this is what they did it for. And obviously after, why, why would the Bedouins do it? Because the Bedouins would do it because they'll often get, receive gifts from them, from those family members, right? So it's like a, almost like a business transaction, well, without telling them this is my price, I'll just give a gift anyway. So every so all these Bedouins they, they came to Mecca and they said, okay, they, they'll pick particular children, right? But they never picked Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam because and why? Why would they pick Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Because he looked skinny, looked weak, he was small, and also you understand Amina, uh, his mother, his his father Abdullah had passed away, okay. So he didn't have a father. So they said, okay, how are we going to get a gift here when it's just a, a lady? You know, she, she can't oh. give me anything. You get it? So she, even then, they were materialistic back then. Yeah, they were materialistic, yeah. So they were like, okay, you know, um, we need to, you know. So there was a, a lady called uh, Halima. Now, Halima, she had the converse with her husband and said, look, there's no other children available, only this boy, Muhammad. We must take him. So they said, okay, you know what, because they didn't want to go, go home, go back to the desert empty-handed. So what they did was, okay, you know what, we'll take the baby. We'll take the child, sorry. So when, they, when, they, Muhammad Sallam, when they took Muhammad to the desert, already they started seeing the blessed, the, the fruits of, um, of carrying this baby. What happened was, you know, um, you, you know uh, uh, Halima's breasts were full of milk. Right, she was able to, and remember, Halima, she had a child as well. Okay, so she was able to feed Muhammad وسلم, and, and she had enough milk for um, his foster brother, I forgot his name, uh, to, uh, to feed him as well. So, um, you then have goats. Now, these goats will go out to graze, right? So, all these other Bedouins that had different children here. Their goats will come out empty-handed. I they won't be able to produce no milk. They won't be any more fatter because they've got no food. But every time, the goats of those Bedouins who had fostered, temporarily fostered Rasulullah, they'll come back full, and they have so much milk. The camels will come out so much milk. So what happened was there's so much milk. Yeah, but Bedouin, the other Bedouin family used to do is they used to take their goats and, and roll it with their goats to get it. But even yeah, then, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Competition yeah, yeah. Okay. but even then, their goats still come empty-handed. Yeah. So the goats and the camels, the animals basically come empty-handed. 
but that has so much risk. A lot of people get the intermination wrong. Risk is basically sustenance, whether it's food, whether it's household, whether it's, whether it's even uh, uh, obviously money, income, this is called risk. There's so much blessing, barakah came out of just even just having Rasulullah Sallam at the time. So this word, this risk is um, actually um, rizk, isn't it? Rizk, R-I-Z-K. Yeah, you, you can yeah, say rizk, yeah, but obviously Arabic yeah. pronunciation risk. So, yes. so the thing is, there's so much plethora of barakah just by having the baby there, and just by having the child there, just by having Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam there. And she, Halima, his um, other, you know, we say, you know, uh, his other mother, and uh, that, uh, you know, she grown fond of him, she fell in, obviously, obviously her mother is a mother, she fell in, obviously, love like her own son and everything. So now, when they grew up, they, they were growing up now, her foster brother, his Muhammad Sallallahu foster brother, then came to his mom and said, oh mother, uh, some two men with white garments came and knocked Rasulullah Yeah? So then obviously Halima was like, hold on, what's going on here? She, she ran out. She tried to look for uh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She found him. He was knocked. Uh, he knocked over, unconscious. And obviously he woke up. Halima picked him up and everything. Are you okay? Everything like that. And then the first brother said, oh, this brother came and they opened his chest up. Basically what happened was these, these were two angels who had uh, come to open his, uh, open Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's chest up here. And they, they had actually gotten the heart of Rasulullah and they cleansed it. Now there's two opinions. One opinion is they cleansed it in a bowl, which is a gold bowl in Zamzam water. And the other opinion is basically in, in a bowl of Iman. So he cleansed his heart with a bowl of Iman, right? So then they put, it, put his heart back together again, right? So he had purified his heart basically. So then anyways, the reason why I mentioned this story is because everybody knew, everybody knew that these guys, the minute they got Muhammad Sallallahu they were rich, they were rich, they were wealthy, they had everything. Allah SWT was giving them everything, but yet they were disbelief. They knew, like, okay, I understand that he didn't proclaim a prophethood at that age, or, you know, in young age. But the thing is, they knew that there's something about this, that, that boy, that would outline special. the fact that it's something special. Even when Abu Lahab, yeah, when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, Lahab the father of the flames. Even mm. him, when it was a time where Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he obviously he had lost his his parents fully. Amina, uh, his mother passed away. Abdullah passed away. So he was playing with the kids, and then the kids. The mothers and fathers come to collect them. No one could collect Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was feeling very sad because obviously he was missing his mother and his father. So the next thing you know, in a horse, who comes? What are the father of the flames? What's his name? Abdul Lahab. Yeah? Abu Lahab. So now Abu Lahab comes with the horse, picks Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and puts him in the back. Now the horse would have moved. So what's going on? Why is the horse not moving? He's kicking it. This is his best horse, by the way. His best horse. So he was kicking it, doing anything he could. He wouldn't move. He just wouldn't move. So you know what he did? He put Muhammad Sallallahu in front of him. And next thing you know, the, 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 the horse jetted. He just ran like crazy. 
because yeah so you know see what i mean that's another sign but what i'm trying to say there's so many signs in his young life that um just illustrates that you know what rasulullah or this boy muhammad is something special about it so when he proclaimed prophethood when jibril has said ikra read and when he then said the wahi when he said about that he wants one kalima it was a shahada why they still rejected it they still rejected it even though there's so many plethora of evidences in his young life that shows that the fact that this guy is is the praiseworthy one ahmed muhammad just to just to touch upon that you you said the shahada when he would think he came to proclaim you know ask yeah. the people of christ to accept the kalima the shahada uh, why mm. is it that the shahada was such a massive deal to the people of Quraysh. Why was it such a huge thing? I mean, like, uh, if you look at it like this, right, uh, the Banu Hanifa tribe within the Quraysh also mm. had uh, people who believed in one God. So why was it that La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah was such, or sorry, La ilaha illallah uh, was such a massive deal to the people? What do you, what do you guys, what do you think, uh, Abs? I'm not too sure about that one, but um, I'd have to say they didn't want to give up um, everything they had basically so they didn't want to give everything up mm. just for one god so the shahada is what is believing in one god and believing that prophet muhammad is the messenger so there's two yeah. distinctions there so i mean the thing is that you're saying that to believe in one god right but there was this tribe was banu hanif they also believed in one god why did the Quraysh not causing problems for them and, problems for the Prophet and in fact Banu Hanif they believe in a God you know how we say Allah they believe in a God called Allah Allah yeah yeah so it's very even then even the naming is very similar yet they wasn't troubled yeah right yeah. Why, so, do, why do you think that was it so just to uh, describe what the scenario was back then so they believed in different gods and they had different idols in Makkah at that time and mm. they would use these idols and call them gods and they would be intermediates meaning they would they were too they weren't too, too pure themselves so what right would it be for them to speak to god directly so mm. they would use these idols as intermediates to talk mm. on their behalf so mm. they had one for maybe one for uh, fortune and one for something else and they yeah. would go to each one of these idols and then they would start asking for this and that yeah. So they didn't want to believe in, they didn't really want to believe that one God can be all encompassing and all, all powering and all loving. Mm-hmm. Another thing is like, um, that's also one, one way of looking at it is the fact that they, they didn't want that because also you just said they were mushriks, yeah? You know, just like today in modern day, we have mushriks today, like the Hindus, they are mushriks, they, they believe in the idols. Um, right. Yeah, um, so the Shahada was actually a massive, massive political statement, right? And I know straight away when people hear the word political, they also, they automatically, whether they like it or not, they tag it to something dirty, you know, there's something which is like, uh, you know, why would you add something pure, which is Rasulullah and then add politics to it. But the thing is, is whether how you use politics uh, which will identify if it's a good thing or a bad thing, right? So hmm. when well, the well, shah- if you look at the description, hmm? if you look at the sorry, just to interject. So if you look at the word 
politics politics itself or the politician what does the word actually mean so it actually means what can you tell me a bit more yeah so yeah that's that's going to go into the definition of the shahada because now um if we go to the shahada the shahada is a is a political statement rejecting all other deans um deans translates into ideologies ways of life you know the way you're living your life and and the Quraysh and all the tribesmen, um, they didn't like that because they were happy with their life. They were happy with following the forefathers. They're happy with, of uh, you know, because you need to understand this. You need to really understand this. Quraysh, um, which is obviously Rasulullah's tribe, yeah, they were the heads of the Arabian Peninsula. They were given that right through their lineage, as I described, and. What, um, uh, and what happened was they, they got control of the Kaaba and they got control of the political area, uh, um, uh, status quo. But what happened was you have um, other programs from other, other, other Arab worlds, they'll come down and what they'll have to do is they'll, they'll buy certain products through uh, in, in, in Mecca, right? And it's, it, it will benefit them uh, financially. So they used to make a lot of money off these programs as the Saudi government does right now. So um, they, they make money off it. And at the same time, um, it's a lifestyle that they don't want to change. They believe in these, in these idols and they don't want to change it. That's why the Shahada is a political statement because it's rejecting all of the deans. All this, of the deans. And this is why, this is why uh, Banu Hanif, they were never troubled because they was a tribe who believed in what Allah uh, one God, but they kept it to themselves and they didn't go any further. Whereas the yeah. Prophet ﷺ, when he received the Wahi, the revelation, and was told to uh, tell the people of the, you know, the Shahada and, and forget the people to accept the Shahada, he wasn't just coming to just make a statement, just to say La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. He was there to make a change, to make a change to the status quo, to make a change to the society, to make a change to their way of life. It wasn't. It wasn't just a, a mere religion. Uh, how a lot of people will see Islam to be something just spiritual and, and that's it, that we just pray mm. Salah and that's it. But it was a whole system of way of life and this is what the Prophet had brought to the people of Quraysh. And this is why the Quraysh, the leaders, uh, everyone was attacking the Prophet So an example was, um, you know, when the Prophet had come across the Bedouin and, this, and the Bedouin said, oh, I've heard of you, oh, Muhammad. Uh, I've heard of you, uh, you're asking for something. He goes, mm. I'm asking for one kalima. And a kalima can be a sentence or a word. And the Bedouin laughed and said, look, I can give you 10, I can give you many. And the Prophet said, I don't need that much, I just need this. La ilaha illallah Muhammad sallallahu And he goes, look, the kings and the rulers will fight you for this. And people uh, at, the time, at, the, at, the, at the time of the Prophet sallam, the Bedouins were known to be not very smart. They were, very inter- they were intellectuals. And the fact that um, a, a Bedouin, a traveler, can understand what the Prophet was asking to respond with the kings and rulers will fight you for this. Mm. Because this wasn't just a statement to be like, hey, I believe in Islam and I believe I'm a Muslim. No, this is a statement that was made that you give, you, um, you take away all deity, all rulership, all kingship, everything away and you submit to Allah. There is no God but Allah. There is no deity but Allah. There is no way they worship but Allah. And that's it. Mm. Definitely, and definitely, and uh, just to add on that, so 
is looking the Islamic way of life is actually governing the people's welfare. So that's part of being a politician, right? So yes. this is what Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was there to do. He was there to govern people's way of life, tell us what is right, what is mm. wrong. And the Quran is there, the Quran is there uh, to give a guidance to the Prophet Sallallahu He was a living proof, a living existence. So the best of all examples. Like Aisha already had to Sahab would ask the what's the character of the Prophet and she replied with he's the walking Quran. The walking talking Quran. Walking talking Quran, literally literally walking talking Quran. He he was embodied the Quran and every example he has made was obviously from Wahi revelation. So obviously certain things were not Wahi, but obviously uh, when it comes to Islam, uh, in terms of the commandments and what the Prophet had uh, given to the Sahabas and Sahabas had given to uh, the people around us and obviously this all this message has come all the way back to us you know the, again it's all down for the Prophet again he was enjoying the good and forbidding the evil um, but just to talk about how the Prophet had transitioned to become a prophet so was a, a prophet and his prophethood and just look at the fact that this man you have to understand that it's him against the Quraysh it's one man against the Quraysh is one person, even though he was the most trusted person, most trustworthy person, the most probably one of the most respected man. But mm. when he proclaimed that he's a prophet, everything went. And we have to understand Abu Talib, that was his that was his first first his uncle, his first um um protection. And when he passed away, what happened? He lost his protection and he went to Khadija Wadian Anha, his wife was also a business lady and she gave him protection as well but all her wealth literally her mm. wealth was basically was 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 literally went to the prophet uh, expedition she put everything into him right mm. and when she passed away he had no one he had no no protection at all it was him against literally the world mm. and you have to understand the fact that when we say we're we, as a as a, as a, when we say that we can't compare our life to the prophet or our our time to their to, to his time Time. Look at it like this right now. How how alone do us Muslims feel right now? How alone do us as a Ummah feel right now in terms of what's happening to us as a, as 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 a as a uh, Ummah as a as a united front? What's happening right now? We're disunited. We've been attacked left front center. We've been killed. All sorts mm. have happened to our brothers and sisters uh, in, in in the Muslim lands. And the fact that it's literally us against the world. And like other prophets, is him himself against the world and he he still he still managed to come through and uh, push forward because he believed that you know nothing will stop his uh, journey unless he perishes and he even says it when he's becoming when he became when he when he claimed the prophethood and he went to the, um uh given kalima even abu talib asked him when he was alive he asked him um look people are saying um you want you, you want the shahada look they're, they're, they're willing to give you all the riches, all the wealth, everything you want, right? Uh, whatever you want, literally women, gold, anything you want. And the Prophet what did he reply back with? Do you know what he replied back with? There's, um, there's two narrations for this one. The one that, the, the one that you're talking about is uh, regarding, even if you get a, a moon on my, on my left hand and the sun on my right hand, yeah. then I will not give this matter. The matter is, I the, uh, the mission to establish Islam, but there's actually a, I found a stronger narration when Rasulullah was given the same verdict in terms of, okay, you want you want women, you want money, you want um, you want you want to be the head of Quraysh, um, you, you, you know all these kind of things, all these uh, fascinating materialistic things. 
Rasulullah rejected it and he said, even, uncle, even if you got me a flame from the sun, I was still not given this matter. So both narrations uh, um, got lead to the same objective and the objective of his point was what? Even if you do the impossible, I still will not give this matter until I pass away. Or Allah Subhanahu says not to do it, and that's how much he was convicted to this idea of Islam. And one of the things that um, one of the things that regarding it outraged the Quraysh, and because it really, really questioned their way of life, because what happens is they human nature, the humans, most humans, they like they like power. So when they know that there's another threat, there's another ideology which is threatening their lifestyle, they're going to lose that power, right? Exactly. So they knew, that the Quraysh, they knew, Abu Lahab knew, Abu Talib, Abu Talib knew, but Abu Talib, he was a bit more emotional. So his emotion took over more than his political in terms of his love for um, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yeah, his nephew. But uh, in terms of, um, in terms of the, the, the threat, and it was a threat on the ideology because when you have an when you have an ideology that expands right when it when it expands how does it expand how does an ideology expand it expands through the carriers of the people where if people carry the same uh, the same idea which is like islam i'm just talking about the context of the time of rasulullah then the tribalism aspect of the lifestyle would be eradicated it would not exist anymore why one exists because yeah. no one is living by like that now these leaders these courage leaders they knew that this was it this is because why because this is the better idea you know it is a better idea the only way to be, be an idea is with a better idea and how can you defeat the best idea which is from allah Taala, which is al-islam you know this is the one. Another thing, another side note about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is another thing is that you hear a lot of other scholars that say Al-Mustafa. Al-Mustafa means mm. the chosen one. So Rasulullah Sallam, when we talk about Rasulullah Sallam and we say, oh, he's achieved this, he's also known as being a chosen one. He chosen one to complete this obligation, to complete the implementation of Islam. And obviously through his ummah, through his ummah, um, obviously we continue to try to um, uh, implement uh, Islam. So yeah, um, in terms of whether it being political, uh, of course it was it was political, it was spiritual, um, whatever whatever affects your lifestyle, the Shahada was that, right? In terms of how you deal with, um, even how you eat, right? Even how you eat, when we're talking about Shahada, we're talking about Islam, okay? Where, because the Shahada is a statement to say that I'm a Muslim, okay? You know when, uh, when a non-Muslim becomes a Muslim, they have to have, make a statement. What is that statement? It's called Shahada. They have to say the statement. And that statement says that you are a Muslim, you follow Quran and Sunnah, okay? You follow Quran and Sunnah. You follow, you follow the Aqidah, okay? Now, when you follow the Quran and Sunnah, what does it mean? It means the whole lifestyle changes. Yeah, and the tribes the back in the day they knew this. Even when you eat, there's a way of eating. Even what you eat and what you cannot eat, there is a, a permissibility and and restriction, and obviously impermissibility in terms of haram and halal. You know, even when you go to the toilet, there's a system there. 
even when you uh, do your business transaction, the finance transaction, there's a system there. Even when you govern people, there's a system there. So we see that Islam is an ideology, a complete ideology, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said it in, and he states it in Surah Al-Maidah, he says it in verse 3, this day I've um, perfected your religion for you, completed my favor upon you and have chosen for you Islam as your deen. This is a weak narration, but the, uh, the, the um, sorry, weak translation, sorry. Well, um, I will find another one. So this is it. So this, this day I have perfected your deen for you, completed my favor upon you and have chosen for you Islam as your deen. Yeah? So the tafsir by this by Ibn Kathir he is stating, Allah SWT is stating that this deen is perfect. It is perfect until the end of the world, end of times. There is no, it is not outdated, it will never be outdated. Yeah? So those, for, those Muslims who are trying to reform Islam and they're trying to say that we need to reform Islam. You can only, why would you reform something which is already working? Yeah? Normally, yeah. typically with everything, yeah, when you want to reform something, when you want to fix something, let's, let's, let's replace reform with fix, okay? Because reform makes you look like, oh, it's okay. But really, so you're trying to fix Islam. You're trying to fix Islam to, comp to comply to your reality, to comply to your jahil reality in terms of the system that we're living in. Why would you want Islam to comply with the current status quo? You can't. You get it. Mm -hmm. What do we have to do? We have to change the current status quo to comply with Islam. We have to do the reversal, right? This is what we have to do. So this is why in Islam, um, taking it back to our Rasulullah's time, they knew all of this and they knew that this, this thing is going to take place where that the reality is going to change to comply with Islam. And they knew this. They knew this full on. Yeah. So this is a political statement and this is a spiritual statement. Anything to do with your lifestyle, it was, a, it was a statement to change your life. So, there, in a nutshell, yeah, that's the shahada for you. That's the shahada, yeah. Uh, Absa, do you want to uh, add on anything onto that? or? Yeah, I mean, like, if we look around what's happening right now, we can see there's weaknesses in the ummah. Yeah. And yeah. that's because people are not following the commands and prohibitions of Allah. Mm. I mean, we still continue to do our business around the world, uh, around where we, wherever we go, wherever mm. we're at home or we're outside, whatever we do. But we don't actually follow the laws of Allah. We don't actually follow the halal and the haram. We don't avoid mm. these things. We still take part in the businesses which are dealing with interest, riba. Mm. Mm. And we think Allah is going to forgive us for this? I don't think so. So how can you expect, how can you expect uh, for us as an ummah to achieve high things and go back to the way how it was when Prophet Muhammad was alive, when you can't even fix yourself and you mm. can't even avoid these things like backbiting, stealing, treachery, mm. even drinking. Some brothers are drinking on the streets and they think they'll be forgiven. Mm. So Allah says, well, what do you say? Allah does not change the condition of a person until what? Until they change what is in themselves. Yeah. And when Allah intends for a people, there mm. is not no repelling it, and mm. there is not for them besides Him any mm. protection. So this is what Allah says in the Quran. 
And this is all yeah. chapter 13, verse 11. So, yes, yeah, so at the moment, we are actually being disobedient to Allah. And this is one of the weaknesses I see mm. that we are facing right now. Yeah, you're right. And even like um, the verse that you mentioned, uh, the tafsir behind that, according to Katir, um, when when the verses were released, it was also obviously to the Sahabas. And what happened was, see, a lot of people think that, okay, that verse means I need to perfect myself first before I can go out, right? That's not the case. The case is this, is when we fast, right now we're in Ramadan right now, yeah? So when we fast, um, do we stop uh, doing a salawat? Or do we, do we stop doing our, 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 our recitation, of, uh, 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 recitation of Quran? No, we don't. We do, this, we do this spontaneously. We do this at the same time. Okay? So dawah is a, also a one fundamental thing that Rasulullah took place in. Yeah? And it is an obligatory action that all Muslims are obliged to do, yeah? Um, and it is commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to spread his deen. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, spread his deen, did he mean, okay, first of all, you're going to first, uh, first memorize all of Quran, and then you're going to learn all of the tafsir, and then you're going to read sal uh, perfect salah, and then you're gonna carry, look, the whole, notion of this and I've read it so many times and it's actually um, contradictory to our beliefs and the, and the reason why I say that is because in as a Muslim you cannot perfect yourself you cannot be perfect why because Rasulullah is the perfect he is the perfect you cannot say to yourself that you're going to be perfect like him you cannot but you can strive to be perfect so no one can actually say that, okay, before I can do my dawah, or before I can talk about these kind of issues, because I, I tend to get this a lot where, oh, uh, no, brother, you know, I can't, let me just focus on this, and then I'm going to do this. You know, let me perfect myself. You're lying. You can never perfect yourself. You can only strive to be perfect, which is strive to be like Muhammad, wasalam. you can always strive to be like this. But in the process of striving, there's other obligations that we have to do. Like Rasulullah did his obligations. Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran, he Allah subhanahu wa says that you know when you see like the sun and the moon is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um the animals they are worshipping Allah is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Muhammad Allah SWT, is pleased with Muhammad because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, right? Worshipping Allah. Allah subhanahu says, you know, I created insan and jinn. To who? To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so worship what? Is it does, it does it mean just salawat? If it's just salawat, then that's a wrong understanding. It means worshiping Allah in any shape, way, or form in your lifestyle, inside the house, inside the masjid, outside the masjid, outside the house, in your business dealings, in your transactional dealings, in your work, in your school, anywhere. This is what it means. If I then say, you know what? I go to work and then I start swearing at everybody, start slapping people. I am actually going against Allah Subhanahu wa I am I'm actually going against Allah Subhanahu wa and I'm getting sin for it. But if I be kind to people, I do my I do my job because I need to get money and I'm doing a halal job, yeah? I am worshiping Allah. I am because why? Because 
I'm providing um, uh, through this job Allah has given me, I'm providing for my family. It's an obligation. So we as a Muslims, we have to look that our yardstick is Islam. You know, our yardstick is Islam and we always need to focus on what does Islam say when we encounter any type of obstacles in life, you know? Okay. I mean, just to uh, add on to that, it this outlook we have, like, you know, we, this outlook you're portraying of Islam and this outlook of what every Muslim should have, um, it's, it's, it's not something we've just made up or it's just come out of our heads, but it's from what the Prophet Islam has taught us through Sunnah and what the Quran has taught us from, obviously, uh, from the Quran. And if you look at it, what kind of the kind of person the Prophet was, we know that when he was, when he was proclaiming the Shahada to the people, he was a firm, strong, he feared nothing except for just the pleasing Allah. He literally had the greatest of Sahabas coming after to kill him, such as Umar Anhu. Then he became a Muslim. Mm. He, he, his character towards people. Look at the time where, when uh, the Sahabas were mocking the Jew who was who died. What did he say? He said that is he still not human? Mm. Yeah. Do you understand? This was the mm. character. This was the. This is how. This is who the Prophet Sallallahu was. He's a just man. He was a perfect man. He was a perfect leader. He was a perfect husband. He was a perfect, you know, a role model to everyone. A father, yeah. whatever you want to look at, however you want to look at. He's the best of all examples. Also, Hassan, the best of all examples, right? Mm. And look at it today. Look how disunited we are as a Ummah. Forget, let's forget even that story about the Sahaba mocking a non-Muslim, a Jew. Look how we're mocking our own brothers and sisters, our own Muslims, Ummah. Look how we mock each other. Mm. You understand? Like mm. How we mock us in like, Bro, you go to this mosque, bro, you pray like this, bro, you can't follow this uh, imam, bro, you mm. can't do this, you can't do that. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's the fact that, imagine if the Prophet saw this, if he, he, if he, if he um, scolded the Sahabas for saying, oh, look, he's the Jew, we should, and mocked the Jew, and he mm. said, look, he's not as human still. Imagine what he'd be saying to us for, for, for scolding a Muslim brother, mm. a Muslim sister. Mm. Mm. Do you understand? And yeah, this is this is what's happening to the Ummah, the fact that we are so disunited and we, it doesn't matter uh, the fact that um, how you pray, how you do this or whatever. Mm. At the end of the day, we have a core belief. It's the Aqeedah, which is the belief mm. in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm. the belief in the angels, the belief in the books, the belief in Qadar wal Qadar, fate and destiny, uh, the day of judgment and the prophets. These are things we all believe in, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, these are core beliefs. If you don't believe in these things, you're not a Muslim. This is what we should be all uniting on. Yeah. And we should be all holding together to, as, a firm, as, as firm as possible, as uniting onto that itself. We should mm-hmm. not be disuniting on anything else except for these mm-hmm. you know, core beliefs. And this is what the Prophet was, was achieving at the time of establishing Islam because he was achieving Islam upon the people. He wasn't achieving, okay, bro, we need to make our, this, this, this iman uh, type of mosque and this in one type of mosque this one mm-hmm. bro the prophet used to pray in many different ways right mm-hmm. he used to pray in many different ways yet the sahabas were they disunited no no were the people who followed the sahabas and the prophet who weren't sahabas were they disunited no mm-hmm. because they had a strict system 
And the only time, sorry, 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 sorry to interject. The only time they were disunited that followed after the Tabi Tabiins is when they stopped following the Sunnah of Rasulullah. This is the time when they were again disunited. But if you were following the Sunnah of Rasulullah, then there was no disunity now. Exactly. And this is this is what we need to, uh, to understand. This is this is the person. This is this is the type of role model we are put in front of us. This is what Allah has given us. This this perfect man, mm, and mm. we take it so lightly. Like Allah, if you just look at the the stories of the Prophet and why he's been through, what he had to do. Mm. This is alone, man. You know when he became when he received revelation that there are there are um, some uh, hadiths. Uh, which, which state that the Prophet wanted to commit suicide because yeah, yeah, the, the the burden was so much on him because he 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 received such obviously this this uh, this mission isn't something small it's not something little it's a huge uh, impact on his life and you know Khadijah was there to calm him even then he would come to the the highest uh, mountain I can't remember which mountain it was but he tried to jump off and Jibreel would come at the time and say listen um, you are um, to follow Islam, you are the you are the prophet. You know you have given you have you have been chosen with Wafi, uh, Wahi. Sorry, mm-hmm. Al Mustafa, exactly. And it's just it's just so hard to think that uh, a man so perfect didn't feel these things, these heartaches. Look at the pro- uh, the time when the, they were boycotted and they were starving, and the Sahaba yeah. showed the Prophet on his stomach. And then the Prophet would turn around and look, I've got two wrapped around my stomach, two stones wrapped around my stomach. I'm starving as well. He felt our pain, the pain of the companion. He wasn't mm. just like, oh, you know, do this and do that. We both, we'll go here by coincidence mm. and we'll somehow take over Medina and then we'll start mm. taking over Mecca, then the whole Arab Peninsula. There was a set objective, set things in place. Mm. The Prophet had a vision. He had the viewpoint. He understood his, um, his, um, his surroundings, the people to talk to. Who to talk to? Who be influencers? Who wouldn't be influencers? But the professors are understood this. This is the type of man he was. He's very, very intelligent, a very strategic man as well. Mm. Let mm. alone up to perfect. You know, he's everything. Issue, whatever you need to look into, the Prophet was there to bring it. Mm. This is the type of man. This is who Prophet was. And even then, look how even the non-believers were still called to Prophet, the Prophet to you. The non-believers will quote you how much of a just man he was, how yeah. much of an influential he was. Even this is the disbelievers who are saying this to you. Is mm-hmm. that they, even mm-hmm. they recognize how much of an influence influential he was? No, it's true. No, it's true. Even even if like, if you want to look at non-Islamic literature, you know, um, there were people who were writing books about him, saying that he's actually. You know, one of the perfect human beings themselves saying this. You know, there's actually a book uh, written by uh, I forgot his name now. He, the uh, 100 most influential people in the world, and first he put Muhammad yeah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You see, so so the thing is, and and the thing, you know what he did? He had to actually write in the book, and he had to state that um, that uh, uh, I apologize. Yeah, I'm not Muslim. I apologize. He had to apologize because. Facts are facts. He has to say the truth. The truth is that Rasulullah was the best human being there was that ever lived, and he had to yeah. write it down. So this is the thing. And Rasulullah, no, don't forget, like you know, he was struggling from day one when he became a prophet, Rasulullah. And obviously, Allah SWT says in the Quran, what with hardship goes with ease. Allah SWT says with hardship goes with ease. So when Rasulullah. Um, he obviously he knew this, and obviously he understood this. And Rasulullah received that verse. Every time he received hardship, 
he knew there's going to be ace. He had trust in Allah. He had the utmost, um, strongest um, uh, trust in Allah. And the thing is that the, one of the things that um, I want to touch upon is, is the fact that you, know, you guys have touched upon it is the fact that we are divided right now in terms of countries, in terms of sectarian. And actually, in some cases, people might think it doesn't matter if we're dividing countries. So we might need to touch upon that in terms of, sec in terms of sectarian division. Within, even within the Sunni uh, school of thought, there's division. So, um, for example, now, what did Rasulullah do different to what we are doing now? Okay, which is sounded weird because our father is Rasulullah. We're supposed to follow our Rasulullah. But yet, we have this question what did he? Uh, what did he do, you know? Yeah. So, first thing was um, he had, obviously, he made sure that what the Shahada meant, you know, it was actually a political figure, a political um, uh, uh, statement. Um, but there are four aspects that I want to get into, four aspects. Um, brotherhood, uh, Al-Qaeda, which you touched upon, Islamic State and Jihad. So, in in Rasulullah's time when he became the Prophet, um, Umar bin Khattab uh, said, "Ya Rasulullah, if we have the hak, if we have the if we are, if we are on the, we are upon the truth, then why we are hiding? Why do we should we spread our our uh, our deen to everybody else?" So then Rasulullah kept quiet, and then next day, uh, Rasulullah received wahi, stating that he should go out and interact with the non-Muslims. So, and he, that was set in Darul Al-Kam. And all the cultural, all the culture in terms of understanding what is Islam, yeah, in the beginning, it's starting Darul Arkham, the house of Arkham, okay? In terms of the Aqidah, of your Sotoshapon Islam, Aqidah. The believing in Allah subhanahu ta'ala, no difference of opinion in there. The only opinion you can have is either you believe in Allah or you don't, yeah? This is the premise. Hmm. Um, the Quran and the Sunnah. Either believe or you don't believe. The the angels either you believe or you don't believe. The prophets either believe or you don't believe. The uh, day of judgment either you believe or you don't believe. And the last one is fate and destiny. Qadr or Qadr, either believe or you don't believe. Okay, any aspect, any six aspect that I just mentioned, and you think that okay, you don't believe in it, you're a kafir. Okay. It, it just, it's just to play now that if you don't, if you reject any of those beliefs, you are a kafir. This this makes a Muslim if you believe in all six aspects beliefs of Aqidah, which I just stated right now. This makes a Muslim, and he was solidifying that. Rasulullah was approached by Umar bin Khattab one day, and Rasulullah said to him, "You will not achieve true belief." Until you love, if you, until you love Allah and love me more than your own mother and father and, and more than yourself. So Umar bin Khattab replied back and said, "Ya Rasulullah, I love you and Allah, but I love me, I love me more." So then Rasulullah said, "Then you have not achieved true belief." This is Umar. So Umar came back again and he said, "Ya Rasulullah, 
he understood what that meant. I love you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than myself and anything else. And then Rasulullah replied back, then you have you then you have achieved what? True belief. What was the objective of this? The objective was what? The aqidah. It was the objective of aqidah. This is a real life scenario that took place. This is regarding the aqidah. Yeah. Now this he this objective that I just said, he had um, indoctrinated the Muslims at the time with this type of mentality. In terms of uh, for in terms of brotherhood, what did Rasulullah say? He said, "Do not uh, love for your brother what you love for yourself." Yeah, mm -hmm. he is your brother. Yeah, you know how we say brother, sister. Why? Because this is a and uh, this is the element of brotherhood. Allah Subhanahu says in the Quran. This is a famous verse in Malim Nuna Ekhwatun. We are nothing but a single brotherhood. Huh? If you believe in the Aqidah, which is the Quran, if you believe in the Sunnah. If you believe in the Aqidah, which entails the Quran and the Sunnah, in the Quran and Sunnah it says you believe in brotherhood. So your Muslim is your brother. It is your brother. Yeah? So when this was solidified, when this is getting solidified, right? Because you can't solidify everything in one go. You know, you're always understanding more and more, more about Islam. But the belief was solidified. So they attacked. How did they attack? They attacked with their words. They had um, uh, they had f uh, filtered out the erroneous, haram um, ideas of of that society in terms of tribalism, which leads to man-made laws, laws which are made up by man. Man is rulership; he is sovereign. Yeah. In terms of uh, in, in in terms of adultery, fornication, in terms of business transaction. They tackled all these kind of, in terms of freedom, yeah? In terms of freedom. What, um, what is freedom, okay? Now, a lot of Muslims might think, oh, what's wrong with freedom? What's wrong with freedom? What does freedom mean, though? Everything is, we need to understand. When we say certain words, words have meaning. Freedom means that you have, you are not a slave. A slave doesn't have freedom, okay? Slave does not have freedom. But... Um, but a non-slave, what do they have? They have freedoms, isn't it? Yeah. So when you when Rasulullah came, he was tackling the concept of freedom as well. Yeah. Uh, because we are who Allah said in the Quran, Abdullah. We are Abdullah. We are the slave of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We have to follow Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. If we do not follow Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, there is repercussions for us. There is consequences. Right? Jahannam. Yeah, and we don't want that, right? We are our slave. Even Rasulullah was asked, yeah, was asked, do you want to be a king prophet or do you want to be a slave prophet? What did he choose? Slave prophet. He chose slave prophet because even he knew that he is Abdullah. He is Abdullah. Yeah. So and the thing is, so what happened was in the house of Arakan, they were being cultured in terms of brotherhood, in terms of Akida. And now they went and tackled the state's call and the whole Muslims, uh, you know, was making an echo, was making a noise within the Meccan people. So much so that this noise had then reached where? At that time it's called Yathrib. Well, mm -hmm. we're going to say Medina because we are Muslims. So 
it went it reached Medina. Now the Medinese people were they're making a ruckus. They were had uh, you know there were tribes. Now these tribes came from Yemen as well, Aus and Hazraj. So now these tribes were in battle. One of the battles they were in was called the Battle of Baath. Uh, Baath. Battle of Baath is, uh, was so massive that all, nearly all the elders were what? Done. They were finished. They were killed. And all the youngsters, like in the 20s, they were alive. Right? So had, they had to appoint new leaders. Now, subhanAllah, it's just like Qadr of Allah. It, you, know, you know, this is proper Qadr of Allah. You know, Musa ibn he was the first ambassador yeah, of Islam when he went to Medina. He was representing Islam. He was also, he was a ulama. He was a scholar. Rasulullah sent him. Why? This is how clever our beloved Rasulullah was. He, he selected him. Why did he select him? He selected him because when he went there, in Medina, the people, they were all youngsters like him. That's number one. They were all rich like him before. So he knows how their lifestyle is. Yeah. Their tastes of clothing were just like his before uh, Islam. Yeah. So he knew he could relate to them. Did you get it? You can't send Abu Bakr and Umar bin Khattab. They won't be able to relate to them. But he chose, Rasulullah chose Musab ibn Umar for a reason. Because he can relate to them the most. SubhanAllah. And because of this relation that they had, he was able to be in relationships with Prajwa Akbar. Musa went to, uh, obviously, went to sorry, Medina, uh, carried on and continued to do his dawah in there. And then the second Prajwa Akbar came about. This was following the season in, uh, season in June 62 CE, 500 people of Medina mainly from the tribe of Khazraj, came to Mecca. It includes 73 Muslims, two of them were women. The rest of the people were those who wanted to find out more about the religion before becoming Muslim. They met the Prophet ﷺ, accompanied by his uncle, Al-Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, secretly by, secretly by night on the 13th of Dhul-Hijjah at Aqaba, where the Prophet ﷺ addressed them and recited verses of the Noble Quran. Moved by his blonde, uh, the, the, the smoothness of the Quran and the truthfulness of the Quran, the people accepted Islam and pledged the oath of allegiance to Rasulullah. And this pledge became known as the second pledge of Aqaba. So, what we can gather from here, which I need to wrap it up as well because they leave that time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah we can, we, what we can gather from here is the fact that. Um, Musabi bin Umair had gone over there. He had established a base there. He had established, like, in terms of base, in terms of people, relationships. Um, he was able to call the second version of Aqaba, which was the final blow, which is the final blow. What I, mean by that, which, what I mean by that is basically the final blow to the Quraysh, because the Quraysh knew they've had it. This is where the famous uh, famous statement of Aisha Radiyanahuma came about when she saw her father, Abu Bakr Siddiq Anhu. Uh, when he cried, when Rasulullah said, you come with me to go to the migration of Medina. And Aisha radiallahu says, what? Till today, I've never seen no man cry with happiness like today. Because Abu Bakr was so happy. Why was he happy? Because he's going with Rasulullah But not only that, he's happy because the implementation of Islam was happening in Medina where the whole majority of the population became Muslim 
on top of being Muslim, they embraced Islam into a point that became what? Mu'min. Who? What are the Mu'min? Mu'min is the one who refers all aspects, all atoms worth of in their lifestyle back to Islam. Yeah? Back to Islam. So they didn't believe in any secular values where they believe in that Islam should be in the house and not see. No. They were limited in Islam in outside, in public affairs, in private affairs, in any type of affairs, Islam was involved. Islam was first. And this was what, what, what makes them what mean. And inshallah, we strive to be like this as well. Yeah, this is advice for me and for anybody else. But the thing is, now, when he did the migration to uh, Medina, and uh, according, I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to call it a long story short. They went to Medina. Now the Medinese people were singing songs of praise, right? Mm. They were singing sing, song, uh, songs of praise, uh, basically welcoming, like you know. And when they welcomed Rasulullah into Medina, uh, obviously Rasulullah was just not. He was not just a a, a, a prophet, a Nabi. He was he was also a the first. Uh, head of state of the Islamic State, right? You were the first. And he had then had implemented Islam onto the people. And that's when the first Islamic State was, and the capital was obviously at the time, Medina. And then obviously now the, that's called the Islamic State. The Islamic State encompasses all the relations of people in terms of Islam, in terms of how they do the transaction dealings, in terms of Islam, everything was Islamic related. Every thought process was Islamic related. Every filter was filtered through the lens of Islam. This consisted within the Islamic state. Hence why the people were mu'min and the leader was obviously, you got the result, which is Rasulullah. And this was the Islamic state. And when we talk about last point, which is, is a podcast in itself, it's jihad. Um, the uh, jihad comes from the root word jihada, as we know. Yeah, jihada means struggle. So a lot of people they 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 water this down nowadays and they say, oh, I've I've hurt myself, I just fall down. That's my jihad. No, you can't use that because uh, when when uh, Sahabas asked Rasulullah, what, what is jihad? Because jihad was a word, a new word, yeah, that um, Rasulullah had made. So. They asked Rasulullah, oh Rasulullah, what is jihad? And Rasulullah replied back and said, it is um, uh, fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now, there is, um, it doesn't just mean war, it doesn't just mean battle, you know. There's other ways of doing jihad. What does it mean? Does it mean that you, you fell down, now you're doing jihad, you can't call that jihad? Well, historically, it was always used or the expansion of Islam. And the expansion of Islam, how was the expansion of Islam? Say for example, what the, I can quickly go through it, when when the Islamic State would uh, want to uh, liberate another uh, uh, another nation, to that nation, there'll be a, uh, a protocol. Uh, with that protocol, it would be basically three letters. First letter would be, lower your guard, lower your soldiers, and accept Islam not mean you become Muslim in terms of accepting some implementation of the system in terms of economic, social system, right? 
political system, public affairs system. This is what I'm talking about. You personally becoming Muslim or non-Muslim, uh, you know, it, that, that wasn't the case. No one forced them. So what happened? Obviously, they, they rejected it. Of course, they rejected it. Second time rejected, third time rejected it. Now there's an obstacle. Why is the obstacle? Obstacles are their warriors, their warriors, like the soldiers, you could say, the soldiers who are against the Islamic State. Now the Islamic State will then go over there, defeat, uh, the, historically speaking, they, they defeat the soldiers. Once they defeat the soldiers, the obstacles of the government is, is, it doesn't exist anymore because they defeated, um, because the nature of the battle is the fact that whoever wins, they will lose the government. So when the Islamic State used to obviously win, historically speaking, obviously the government will be lost and there will be, the government will not exist anymore. Um, and then obviously that implement the Islamic government, the Islamic system onto the people. And you'll see in history, if you just look it up, uh, we don't have much time, uh, but if you just, if, if the listeners can just see the history of, of how majority of the Muslims are Muslims right now, you'll see that the fact that, that the Muslims became Muslim and the non-Muslim became Muslim because they saw the fruits of the Islamic system working in terms of protection, in terms of education, in terms of health, in terms of allowance for the for the families, for the for the children, for the parents, for the elderly, in, in you know, right. in terms of the social system, in terms of the economic system, you know, in terms of even the leadership, how the leadership can be questioned when they do not rule by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the non-believers, they pay the tax, they pay the tax, but this tax was the as much as we pay tax right now, it's less than that. Uh, and the tax would include housing and the tax would include water because at the time, you know, the Islamic State, it was forbidden for Muslims and the Islamic State to charge water, electricity, gas. Why I mean by electricity? Natural, natural resources, resources, yeah? So electricity would be, so if we had the Islamic State today, not this bogus ISIS here, this is, this is not Islamic State, this is whatever, I don't know what it is. It is against Islam totally, but if you, if you had a proper Islamic state who followed the Sunnah of Rasulullah, um, they would not charge electricity because why? Because it's a natural resource, right? So any type of natural resource they cannot charge. So water, gas, electricity would not be chargeable. Yeah, it'd be free. Imagine living like this. Imagine. And even even if you look at the sorry to go on, but even if you look at the beauty of the economic system, right? They believed in the distribution of wealth, right? In this day and age, we live, live in, they believe in the production of wealth. Hence why there's a lot of um, recession going on in terms of where it, well, this COVID-19 thing happening now. You, know, you can see that a lot of businesses are failing, the economy is crumbling down. And, you know, and, and this is the uh, product of the production of wealth. While in Islam, we focus on the distribution of wealth, like the zakat system, yeah? Where the zakat system used to expand everywhere all around the um, the uh, the Islamic State, uh, and the uh, 2.5% of your savings, and uh, it would spend all around the world, uh, all around the Islamic State. It would go to the poor, to the Amli, uh, uh, you know, to the DD, you know, who can't feed themselves, who can't have no food, no job, no nothing like this. It would go to them, and it was actually the Islamic State's duty to distribute the wealth like this to a point where the Khalif of, I believe, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz. That when in his in his um, in his khulafat, uh, khilafat, that uh, there was no poverty, that the fact that there's so much money, but people used to do, they used to do people, you know that term, do money come from trees, yeah? 
well, mm-hmm. you kind of you can you can guess where the term came from. Where the uh, on the on the branches of the trees, they used to tie bags of uh, gold and silver coins because they had so much wealth, because oh, wow. the distribution of wealth worked, and this is why so many non-believers became Muslim. Even the ones that we that we didn't go over to liberate yet, they became Muslim. And ultimately, they joined in the Islamic State because even the leaders and the people themselves they became Muslim without even even having any battles whatsoever, and they became Muslim. So you can see that jihad you can replace it with say expansion. It's the expansion of the ideology. Aqidah is basically the cultural aspect where you look back in everything in your yastic in your way of life. Islamic State is basically that you are. It is a it is a state that is 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 is, is, is taking care of your affairs of you and your people and your family in terms of Islam, in your Islamic thoughts, in terms of Islamic relationships. Everything which is to do with Islam, the Islamic State will take care of it. Anything which is like, uh, for example, the people within the Islamic State here, yeah, uh, the Islamic State will take care of those matters in an Islamic way of life, in the Islamic system, in this, uh, in, from Quran and Sunnah. Brotherhood, obviously we know that the fact that the reason why this brotherhood, Allah SWT says in the Maniminunah that there's nothing but a single brotherhood. We are nothing but a single brotherhood. They have that close bond and, and that the close unity because brotherhood means unity. Islam does not divide, Islam unifies, yeah? This is what it is, yeah? This is why Rasulullah really focused on the brotherhood, the, which I, the, the unification of the Ummah, the unification of people, of the Muslims, yeah? The Islamic State there in regards to taking care of the, of the matters of the, of, of the people in, within the Islamic State in an in, in Islamic uh, manner. In, in the Aqidah, which is, the, which is your, your personal and your public life affairs in terms of how do you de- deal with your private life and how do you deal with other people in the public life. And Jihad, I mean the expansion of Islam. Um, uh, and an expansion of Islam in order for the survival of the ideology and also is the fact that why not because if I had a product here if I had a phone right now and you got another phone okay let's just say this if I have food you don't have food yeah you're starving why wouldn't I give my food to you I'd want that yeah I'd want to give my food to you so you don't starve same with this Islam Islam came in mercy to mankind because we believe in the Quran Allah SWT says you know, in the Quran, that you know, a kafir when they when they go to jail, day of judgment, they will ask, please give me another chance. Please give me another chance. Please give me uh, another t- another chance. We get a bit too late. So this is why. And also, Rasulullah came to what? mercy to mankind. He didn't say, oh, uh, just mercy to just the Arabs and the Pakistanis and the Mongolians. No, he mercy to all of mankind, any ethnicity, any any background. Yeah, so this is why jihad I, is a mercy, an expansion, so we can expand Islam. But you can only do that by having a unity, by eradicating the borders that we have, eradicating the sectarian divide that we have, and obviously knowing and understanding what is Islamic Al-Qaeda, and what is Islamic State, what is brotherhood, and what is actually jihad. This is the way. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone for ages, sorry about that. You're absolutely right on all those points and just a few points I wanted to make as well. Um, there was a, a Shia hadith by Al-Imam Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim, his name. Yeah. He stated, jihad with evidences and speech takes precedence over jihad with the sword, arrows and spearheads. Yeah. So what he's talking about, he's talking about 
striving against corruption in belief takes precedence over yeah. striving against the non-believers. So yeah. this is uh, this is what is meant by jihad as well. And just another thing about just another thing about jihad as well. Jihad is in uh, two types, as noted by Abdul Rahman Al Sabi. He says, yeah. firstly, jihad by which is intended the rectification of the Muslims, rectification of their aqidah and mm. the manner and conducts and all of their religious and worldly affairs and likewise their cultivation in terms of knowledge and action. So this type of jihad has or had its foundation of jihad and its background. Mm. Yeah. Good. So upon this, this is what is built the second type of jihad and the intent of the jihad is to repel those who transgress transgress, I can't even say the word, transgress, Congress. Congress, transgress yeah. yes, against Islam and the Muslims from among the unbelievers, the hypocrites and the heretics and the rest of the enemies of Islam and yeah. their oppositions. Yeah. yeah, there's many forms and that's one of the forms, yeah, to the defending, exactly. yeah. 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 It's uh, obviously it's just talking about the Prophet You can go on for hours. You can go for days. You can go for months. You can go as long as you want. Obviously, we've we've got a set time. Obviously, we don't go into too much detail. But obviously, we want to make sure that we put across the uh, the most dear, um, uh, relevant not relevant, but the, what we feel that it's it should be hard in understanding to. The Ummah, how we are in the situation we are today is because we are not looking away, looking at the life of the Prophet and looking how he resumed, not his resume, but established the state, uh, Islamic way of life, and we should follow his method and his ways to resume this Islamic way of life. Um, obviously, uh, we're gonna come to an end now, it's almost iftar time for, uh, for us <laughs> brothers. Um, but um, yeah, I just want to say that inshallah, just keep, uh, keep safe. I hope everyone is doing well. Lockdown as well, inshallah. Um, obviously, um, take opportunity yeah. of the night of powers of the odd nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sorry, just a quick one. Yeah. And anything, anything which is uh, anything evil, anything bad, it's come from me and the brothers. And anything good, anything khair, come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It comes from Islam. Come from Rasulullah. So that's what I say. And any mistakes I made or anything or anything which I said wrong incorrectly, please forgive me. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah. Obviously, uh, we've been. I know we've been quite slow with the uh, the production of uh, the videos and stuff like that. Inshallah, we are having obviously some setbacks, but inshallah, we are looking to get back on top of everything. Inshallah, we're producing more videos and more content for for everyone who are listening listening in. But inshallah, please please help us. Obviously, with support, with just liking. Put in a notification on the YouTube, follow yeah. us on Twitter, um, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. um, to like and share with friends and family, whatever you need to do. But inshallah, we're going to pass on this message to the whole world. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. Um, again, this is the reason why we do this podcast. But inshallah, uh, we've come to an end and come to a close. And I want to leave you all with as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.